Uh, we pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for community and for friendships. And we thank you, Lord, for your church. And we thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you, Lord, that we can worship you, we can pray. And Lord, just now as we look at those verses Daphne read, Lord, I really ask that your Holy Spirit would take, Lord, um, the points you want to make and you would apply them to us. Father, we're not just focusing on one area, Father. I mean, there's obviously one very specific topic, uh, Lord, a very specific issue, Lord, in John 8. But Lord, we want to think just more generally than that as well, Father. And we pray that we would just have that wisdom to apply um, your word to each of our situations, Father. And I pray you'd open our hearts now to what you want to say and ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So we've been thinking about, as Julie said, about brokenness for the last couple of weeks. Um, and we've been focused on, so far we've looked at two areas of brokenness. We looked at brokenness that we feel when we lose something or someone special to us. We talked of lost opportunities, lost loved ones, lost health, and how that loss can really affect us, can really bring us down. We spoke of dragging around our baggage um, in unopened suitcases ready to explode if we don't deal with it. And we really believe as Christians that Jesus wants to deal with our brokenness. He wants us to be open with him and just say, this is how I feel, this is what I don't understand, this is what hurts, help. And I believe Jesus will. We spoke of uh, being an outsider last week. We spoke of being an outcast, didn't we? And we looked at the man with leprosy. Uh, And it seems to me that um, when it comes to... There's lots of different areas we can be broken in. We only looked at two and a third one this afternoon. Sorry, this morning. Um, But there are two, I think, broad categories of types of brokenness we feel. I think they fall into two categories. There's a kind of brokenness you feel because of what's done to you. Sort of outside influences. So you might contract a disease or you might, have a, you might suffer depression and you might feel broken because of those two things. You might be hurt by another human being, let down, uh, left, whatever it might be. And so you can experience brokenness when you are the victim of it, if you like. But there's another kind of brokenness that we almost do to ourselves through bad decisions, unwise choices, or, or just good old-fashioned rebellious heart that says, I want to go that way, I want to commit that sin, I don't care what happens. And then we find ourselves broken because of it. And it seems to me that when we suffer brokenness that's done to us, um, people are generally, generally sympathetic, aren't they? Poor you, that's terrible, it must be awful for you. But when we do something deliberate and it leads to brokenness in our lives, there's often not so much sympathy on offer, not with everybody, but often people are a bit more judgmental, very unsympathetic. We might experience a sense of shame. Um, I feel embarrassed by what I've done. I've done it. I feel embarrassed from this sin that I've committed, this bad decision. Uh, We might even feel accused by other people. Well, it's your own fault. You should have made better choices. People can be very harsh, can't they? We do love a bit of tough love uh, for some reason. It has its place, I guess. Um, But there needs to be truth delivered with love. But more on that in a moment. But the good news uh, from the Christian, uh, from the Bible, from Christianity, is that Christ offers forgiveness and hope for the victim of sin as much as he does for the sinner, his or herself. So I'm going to play you a very short video. Uh, a few years ago, well, a long time ago, you remember the Rwandan genocide and how there was that terrible conflict where many, many, many people lost their lives. And this video is from the perspective of one of the men who committed murder. And he meets face-to-face with a woman um, whose lives and her family he'd taken. And then this is what we're trying to say, that the brokenness that we feel, whether done to us or done by us, the same saviour can save either the same way.
nakwinginze mbabarira natemaguye murumuna wawe nakoresheje umuro wanje nimagurumba kiza afa kugiza umwica sinihanganye nicha umukuba wawe ariko nombe nzuye gahinda kuyo nakuze We live in a world where often, often only some brokenness can know hope. But through Christ Jesus, any brokenness can know hope. Any. That is our message. Daphne read those verses from John chapter 8 a few moments ago, and um, hopefully you've got them open before you. But let me, if you, we, let me, in fact, let me read them again. John chapter 8, verses 1 to 11. Um, well, I'll go from verse 2. So at dawn he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered round him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses were commanded to stone such women. Now what do you say? Now they were using this question to trap as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again he stooped down and wrote on the ground this those who, had begun, those, those who heard began to go away at one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked that woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. Before we do anything else, let me just ask you a question and ask myself a question. Um, in this story, what side are you on? Before we do anything else, what side are you on in this story? Who are you in this particular story? Let's imagine that this sin wasn't um, an affair. Maybe uh, replace it in your own mind with something you find particularly abhorrent. 
Maybe it's addiction to pornography or sex. Maybe it's um, something to do with money, not paying enough tax on time or cutting corners at work. Whatever sin you particularly find irritating and a struggle with, put that on the woman's shoulders in your mind and ask yourself the question, who am I in this story? Am I holding a stone or am I like Jesus, ready to forgive? How do you react to Jesus when he doesn't seem to publicly condemn this woman? I love this account. I love this story in the Gospel of John. I love Jesus' reaction to this baying crowd. A little bit of context for you. The day before, if you were to go back into chapter 7, Jesus had been at the temple. He's in the temple courts. He's for a feast of tabernacles. And uh, and as he's there, he's sort of causing a stir. He's sort of doing some teaching, some speaking, uh, and he's challenging one or two people. And the crowd of these Jewish people are beginning to ask the question, is this guy the Messiah? Is he God's one. Do the authorities think he's the son of God or not? We're not sure. Some were saying he's not the Messiah, but some were beginning to think, well, maybe he is who he says he is. And the Pharisees, the religious elite who have all the power, have all the influence, hate it. They're jealous of Jesus. He's the true son of God, but yet they have become corrupt and they love their position. So they send in the temple guards and they send them in to go and arrest him, but they come back sort of a bit unsure themselves, and they get cross with these guards. Are you going to follow him as well? Come on. And so here the next day, having failed to arrest him on the previous day, they try again to trap Jesus. He's back in the temple courts, and they catch a woman in adultery. And it all sounds a bit suspect, doesn't it? And it's important to note that it looks like this poor woman um, has actually been caught, trapped, tricked, um, obviously, she's made some decisions, um, and you can't, we're not going to shy away from that, but it feels like a setup. And most people that write on John chapter 8 would say, Well, hang on a minute, it feels a bit like someone knew she had a reputation. Maybe one of their number got to know, invited her around for an adulterous relationship, and then, ha, we've got our prime suspect. You'll notice there's no man. Uh, where is he? The man should be dragged. If they're going to condemn them, they should condemn them both. That's how it's supposed to be, not one. In fact, what these religious leaders are doing is twisting uh, the Old Testament law here to suit their own very angry perspective and needs. And so they drag this woman before Jesus, trapped in the act of adultery. And, uh, and what we see there is just how low these religious leaders will stoop to not believe in Jesus Christ. May we as Christians in this church never show this level of ungodliness or jealousy or hypocrisy. May we never be like these people that Jesus clashed with in the New Testament. May we be like Jesus in everything we say and do. So they drag this woman to Jesus and they ask a very simple question. Well, you're supposed to stone women like this, aren't we? What do you say? And it's a trap. It's a very clear trap because Jesus says, don't do it. They'll say, Oh, look at him, everybody. He's taken God's law and he's just ripping it up and changing it. If he says yes, then they'll say to the Romans who are in charge, look, you've outlawed capital punishment and there he is disobeying you. So it would seem that Jesus is in trouble either way. And so how does Jesus respond when he's presented with this woman, this baying crowd, this angry crowd? I'll tell you how he replies, silence. It's my favorite bit of the story. Absolutely says nothing. Did you know that you don't have to answer every single question you get asked? Did you know that? That sometimes silence is the best answer. Ronan Keating, 21st century philosopher, obviously. Uh, Those of you that are Boyzone fans, I'm really sorry to tell you, they've finally broken up. So now's the time to go and get your 
T-shirts if you want to. But he once famously said in his only well-known song, you say it best when you say nothing at all. And actually, sometimes you don't have to say anything. And in John Matthew chapter 7, verse 6, Jesus speaks of, um, talks about this and basically saying you don't have to say everything that people say to you. And, and actually, when someone is just after a reaction and you give them a good answer, it's a bit like taking pearls and giving them to pigs because they just get trampled on and they're not really understood. Sometimes people ask us questions and they don't really want a proper answer, do they? They just want a reaction. They want to fight and they want to trap us. They want to say, well, what do you think about this? My sister-in-law, I've told you this story before um, a long time ago, but she was with a friend of hers and, uh, and this guy was being a bit difficult and he kept asking her difficult questions, not because he was interested in Jesus or Christianity, but because he wanted to get an unnecessary debate going. And he said, well, come on, the new Christians, tell me what you think about this particular thing. I can't remember what it was. My sister-in-law said, no. And he was like, oh. <laughs> what do you mean, no? I'm not going to tell you. Oh. She said, he said, why not? She said, because you're not interested. I'll tell you when you're interested, but you're not interested. And then she changed the subject. And I thought it was awesome. It was really good. Anyway, so presented with this woman, he gets asked this seemingly unanswerable question, yes or no, what do we do? And he stoops down and writes with his finger on the ground. And the million-pound question most Christians ask is what did he write on the ground? And that is not the million-dollar question. The important thing to pick from that particular uh, episode is the fact that Jesus stoops to write with his finger. Who writes with his finger? In Exodus chapter 31, verse 18, it says, When the Lord finished speaking to Moses on Mount Sinai. Notice they mention Moses. Moses said this. Well, Jesus with his finger is pointing all the way back to that. At Mount Sinai, he gave him the two tablets of the covenant law on tablets of stone inscribed by the finger of God. So what John is doing, what Jesus is showing this crowd, is actually what you have here isn't just some man with an opinion, but this is God the Son who speaks the truth. We're fo- to focus on the fact that he writes with his finger, not what he writes. Because actually what John is showing us is that this is more than a man, this is God the Son. He carries the authority of heaven. And so what he's about to do and say will be right and honoring to the laws that they so quickly uh, quote. He will answer with truth and grace. And actually, as Christians this morning, if you're a Christian in this place, you should answer with truth and grace. In fact, we should deal with everybody with truth and grace. We're supposed to speak the truth in love. So many Christians speak the truth with a bit of anger and a bit of irritation. And actually, we speak the truth with love and grace together. If you're not speaking the truth with love, then shush. If you're speaking the truth with love and grace, brilliant, carry on. And it's a really important point. So this crowd have this woman before Jesus. They think there's only two options, yes or no. Punish her or let her go. What are you going to do, Jesus? And what does Jesus do? He finds a third way. And that's wisdom right there. I love it. Uh, We should pray daily for wisdom as Christians. You should pray the Bible says every day for wisdom. Because actually we often face traps. We often face difficult questions. And we think it's a yes or a no answer. But there's always a third way. The wise person can find a third way. And what does Jesus say? He says, any one of you who is without sin, be the first to throw a stone at her. And they're challenged, they're cut to the heart. Look who stops first, the older ones. Because as we get older, we're aware of all the things that we've done wrong. And you think, yeah, forget it. When you're younger, you think you've only sinned like once, don't you? When I was 11, I remember first becoming a Christian. 
and someone saying, God will forgive you for everything. And I remember thinking, I've done anything wrong. <laughs> and then I got older and I thought, oh yeah, okay. Now I can't keep up. Um, but they drop their rocks and they think, yeah, well, who am I to judge human beings and other people? And they go home. So let's think about this woman just briefly. Uh, Despite the trap, it's important to say she clearly at some point in her life has made a decision to enter into an adulterous relationship. And that particular sin has caught her. All secret sin that we do always catches us out at some point in some way. And the fallout for her here is very public. She experiences a sense of shame and disgust from the crowd. And some of us here in this room this morning live in a daily fear that that sin that we've committed and that we've done will find us out at some point. Some of us here fear the reputational loss and the shame that would come if people knew the real us. Some of us here are terrified that if it all came out into the public forum, we would lose absolutely everything. You see, the choices we make in the flesh, if you like, are almost like a self-laid trap. And we know as we do them that we're going to fall into that trap at some point in some way. We just know we're going to get trapped in the thing that we're doing. Maybe some of you here this morning are in an extramarital affair. Maybe you're considering one. Maybe you've broken Jesus' command in Matthew 5, 28, where he says, if you even look at a woman lustfully, you've committed adultery in your heart with her. Maybe you're flirting with the idea of flirting. Maybe it's wider than that. Maybe you're concerned that your history will catch up with you, even though your best, in, your best attempts to delete it. Maybe it's a money issue. Maybe you're in mountains and mountains of debt, and you borrow from here to cover it and there to cover it and there to cover it, hoping that those closest to you won't find out. Maybe it's an attitude. Maybe you've done something immoral at work. Maybe it's something like that. Whatever it might be, you feel a sense of shame, and you think, if people find out, I'm in deep, deep trouble. And so you bury it. You bury it as deep as you can. But the problem with burying things is the deeper you bury it, the stronger the roots are in your life. And so people are so scared of the shame of the things they've done wrong and their mistakes that they run away sometimes. Sadly, tragically, some people even take their lives. But there is a third way. There is a third way. The Jesus way. The Jesus response. So how does Jesus respond to this woman? Well, verse 7, we read... Hang on. The problem is in italics in my Bible. I'm not putting any glasses. Um, hang on. Yeah, there we are. So verse 7. Hang on, sir. I the light. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> That's not big enough. <laughs> so verse 7, he says that they kept questioning him and straightening, him up, straightening up, he says, let any one of you who's without sin cast the first stone at her. The first thing Jesus does, his first response to this woman that everybody thinks is gross and disgusting and shameful his first response is to defend her his first response is to protect her and care for he shields her before he does anything else and i love it no matter what you've done this morning no matter how shameful you feel in yourself no matter how much indignity you might feel in your particular heart jesus will always stand with you and for you before anything else the bible says the devil loves to accuse god's people But Jesus loves to show forgiveness and love to every single one of us. And if you're a Christian in this place this morning, you should be like Jesus and not the devil. It is not our place to point the finger at others. Our place is to show love and protection and hope to those who feel shamed and who feel broken. 
Second thing Jesus does is he shows gentle affection in verse 10. He says, woman, where are they? And I love it. When we read that, I mean, the crowd is angry and this woman is totally alone. She's totally alone. And then it's just her and Jesus. She doesn't know what he's going to do. But the first thing he says is woman. Now, when we hear that in the English language, we think it sounds a bit like boy. Oi, boy. Um, But it's not. In Greek, it's gentle. It's loving. It's woman. Woman. It's not, oh, you. Hmm. There's something wonderful about this. This is a gentle response to this woman. Imagine how that would have felt. Maybe the first kind word in a long time. Jesus, John 6, says, has the words of life. And so even if what you struggle with all comes out, which it may well do at some point, your saviour will always show you gentleness and kindness. And his community must show the same gentleness and kindness. We must be people that love our neighbour as ourselves. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 to 30, um, Jesus says these well-known words. He says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. See, Jesus stands up and he dignifies her and he forgives her. Um, He loves her. As the fingers are pointed to her, his arms are held out wide to love her. Third thing Jesus does is he acquits her of her sin. The crowd want condemnation. They want justice, don't they? People aren't happy until there's justice. But Jesus actually acquits her. He says, doesn't he? Is there no one to condemn you? No one. Well, then neither do I. He doesn't condemn her for her sin. He forgives her for her sin. This is Jesus' mission. This is the Jesus way. It is an outrageous grace where the worst of sinners can be forgiven for the worst of sin. He waits with the door open. He waits for us to say, come in, Lord. And he goes into our lives and he changes them from the inside out. This woman is condemned by her society, but she is loved by the King of Kings. And he forgives her. He acquits her. In John chapter chapter 3, verse 16, Jesus says this famous verse, but we often stop before the rest of it. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. His mission is to offer forgiveness, not condemnation to a world full of broken people. And this morning, whatever shame you feel, whatever brokenness you feel, Jesus isn't standing near you waiting to point the finger and condemn. He is ready to surround you with his love and forgive you, to set you free from your fear. But there is one other thing to say as well. You see, Jesus doesn't just do all those things. In verse 11, he challenges this woman, doesn't he? He says to her, finally, neither do I condemn you. Go and leave your life of sin. And this bit really, really matters. You see, his grace and his love isn't a let-off, is it, for our mistakes or our deliberate sin. His grace must lead to change. He rules out ungracious finger-pointing and condemnation. But after his affection and his acquittal comes a very clear call. Leave your life of sin. Christ's redemption 
must lead to transformation. And today, some of us perhaps just need to hear those lovingly clear words, leave your life of sin. Or perhaps put another way, sin no more. And in fact, let me just say that phrase a couple of times. You might want to shut your eyes. And I want us just to think about that thing that we do or those things that we do that are deliberate. Those moments where we say, God, I don't care what you think, I'm doing this anyway. I just hear Jesus, arms outstretched, full of love, full of grace, not said because he doesn't like you, said because he loves you and he wants you to be whole and healed. Sin no more. Sin no more. Sin no more. This is a saviour that wants his child to be well. This is a saviour that wants his child to be better. He says sin no more. So we carry on. There's one more thing to say, however, isn't there, in this passage. Because there are two types of broken people in this story. Everyone thinks the woman is the most broken. But I think the crowd are more broken than the woman. Why? Because she's well aware of her brokenness and her need and her mistakes. But this crowd think they are right. They are self-righteous, judgmental men and women. And so I need to ask you that question again. Who are we in the story? Do you look at the sin in other people's lives and feel incensed that they're getting away with it? Do you look at what other people do and think, oh, it's disgusting. Do you feel angry when people sin? It doesn't feel like anything's said. Are you only angry at certain sins committed? Do you pray for those who struggle? Or do you long that they're told off? Do you point the finger rather than show affection and love? Do you speak the truth in love? And do you go the extra mile for those who struggle? Sin no more. We're going to sing our final song. Everyone needs compassion, but as we sing it, um, perhaps we could just have a a bit of music before we start singing. And just as we listen to the music, maybe for a a verse and chorus, and then we'll sing it properly together, just in that moment, you want to shut your eyes as we stand and just think of those things that you're ashamed of, things that you do that you struggle with, and just say sorry to God. You can just say, I'm sorry, Lord, and he will forgive you in that instant. Christ has already died on the cross for every single one of us. And as you admit that sin, as you say, Lord, this is what I'm doing, this is what I struggle with, have that picture of Jesus, not with a stone, but with arms outstretched, ready to offer you forgiveness and love and affection. Hear those words, sin no more, and right here, right now, say, Lord, I will sin no more. I will turn from my sin, I will repent, and I will not do it anymore. And resolve as well to point less fingers at other people, but to show affection and love and truth and surround them and lead them out of their trouble perhaps don't point at them they are brothers and sisters because they are made in the image of God let's seek to change people through help and hope not through condemnation if you're in that crowd recognize your self-condemnation and ask forgiveness for that so let's stand and let's do this and just imagine being face to face with Jesus Christ See that he loves you, that he acquits you, and then hear that challenge. Hear it all, but leave here feeling whole and loved.
Lord, I just want to pray for every single one of us here, Lord. Father, we speak of, we've mentioned brokenness these last three weeks. And Lord, you know, you know where the cracks, Lord, only show on the surface. But you know the deep, deep ravine underneath. Father, you know that so many of us paper over the cracks, Lord, putting on the face of I'm all right. But Lord, some of us here carry real burdens. Burdens that make us want to run away and hide. Lord, burdens that we're so frightened other people would judge us so heavily for. And Lord, I thank you for the, the example of Jesus Christ. That Lord, we're faced with a woman that everybody wanted to punish. He showed affection. He protected her. He stood for her. And Lord, yes, he challenged her as well. But Lord, he challenged her after he showed her love and grace. And may this be a church, Lord, where everybody first gets to belong. First gets to feel your love and your compassion and your goodness. May we never point a finger. But Lord, may the truth always be the truth. And may it always be delivered with love. Father, I thank you for where you've saved every single one of us, Lord, when we put our trust in you. I thank you, Lord, that no matter what we've done, no matter what we've done, there is always a way back. There's always a third way. We don't have to take a life or run away. We come to Jesus, and he is the one that can rebuild even the worst. And I thank you for that. Father, just as we sing, I pray that you would put us back together, that we'd be honest with you, and you would rebuild brokenness in this church. In your name. Amen.